Let's look at the local news. This is Talk of the Town on Magic 590 plus 100.5. We're also heard in the Glens Falls, Lake George region on 1410 AM and 96.9 FM. I'm Bob Cudmore, and we welcome back to the program Sarah Foss, news columnist for the Daily Gazette newspaper. Uh, One story that you've uh, written about uh, recently, uh, Sarah, has to do with pay raises at the top. Uh, Your column uh, was was focused on Schenectady Mayor Gary McCarthy, who's to get a 16% pay raise if his budget is adopted. Is that fair? Is that fair? Well, I think I think a lot of people think it it isn't that it's too big um, of a raise. I mean, he's making the case that it hasn't been there hasn't been a pay raise for the mayoral position in twelve years. He's been mayor for eight of those years, and that you know it's time to bring it in line with other administrative positions. I think when you try to do this in one big lump sum, you know whatever your reasoning, people just do not like it. Most people are not getting 16% raises at their jobs, and it just seems, you know, excessive. Mm. The um, raise has to be approved by the city council, and we're recording on Wednesday. I don't know if they would meet late in the week to discuss this, but uh, do you think they'll support it? It sounds like there's a fair amount of opposition, even though the council has an overwhelming Democratic majority, and he's a Democrat. Right. I don't think they will. I think that they're, you know, it's an election year. Some of these people are up for re-election. I think it's that he's not going to get that um, big lump sum, the 16%. I think he will get, you know, some, you know, something more modest. I think there's sort of a sense that, yeah, you know, he it hasn't been raised in, in 12 years. Perhaps it's time to do something. But what we're hearing is that there's the consensus that it's just, you know, too much. And this is in Schenectady, and I don't know if you follow this, but uh, there's been news coverage in Albany County, the county budget yeah. there, calling for large percentage raises, I think similar. Uh, to Very similar. Yeah. It's for the county executive, the sheriff, and the comptroller. Are those the yeah. three? Those are the three. Uh, yeah. In line for the same amount, right? 16%. I was like, what is it with the 16%? <laughs> I mean... Why Why this one figure? Well, uh, yeah, that's true. That figure is, um, you know, it's unusual to be the same figure. But I must say, speaking of the old old one here, um, over the years, the it's very difficult for politicians to, to get raises through because people in general don't like it. So I think they... It's often like, to me, it reminds me of taking a Band-Aid off. You know, they just boom, pull it all at once. I mean, that's... I mean, that might be the... The approach, I sort of had the feeling that if Mayor McCarthy had asked for a few 2 to 3% raises here and there, you know, the council would have gone forward with that without, you know, really batting much of an eye, you know, maybe some some grumbling from the public. But, you know, a more modest percentage figure I don't think gets the same level of, of scrutiny and attention, in gen- you know, from the public. We also have uh, local elections uh, coming up. Are there any local elections that you're watching? Well, here we're watching uh, Schenectady City Council, um, more so than the mayor's race, because that's um, basically unopposed. Um, so there's four council seats that are up. There's uh, four Democrats. There's Vince Riggi, who's an independent, and then there are two Republican candidates. So to see who in that mix ends up on the council is is 
is what we're following. Mm. I wonder how early voting is going. I'm sure there will be coverage of that as we get closer to the election. Yeah, it's a good question because I feel that this is a long-awaited reform, but I'm not sure how many people are actually aware that they can do this and making, you know, the effort to do so. I think it's one of those things that had a lot of support from good government people and very politically engaged people, but kind of making it known to the wider public that this is an option, you know, I'm not sure that most people realize that. So, I mean, I think the numbers will be low, but, you know, I haven't really, I don't really know that right now. Mm. And and being kind of a nerdy guy, uh, I've always enjoyed going to vote. So I I wouldn't, I don't think I want to do that, you know, because I like election day and going there on election day and maybe. Yeah, you know, I, I agree. I like election day too and going to the polls and seeing people. Now, I have a, you know, a polling area that's very, you know, it's not usually very busy. I don't have to wait. So I can walk in and out and do it fairly quickly. If I lived in a place where that wasn't always the case, you know, I might embrace this. I like voting on election day, but if it took up a huge amount of time, I might decide, you know, this is easier. I don't have to spend all that time doing this basic task. Mm -hmm. We're talking with Sarah Foss, news columnist for the Daily Gazette newspaper, Schenectady's downtown. You did a column on that recently. Uh, It's better than it was for sure, but what do you think it lacks? Well, as as I wrote, I think it lacks... um, well, lacks enough residents. There are people who are living downtown. There's definitely more in the past. But if you look to your downtown as kind of a place where there's a level of activity that kind of goes, you know, not quite 24-7. People go to bed. But, you know, where you feel like there's a nightlife, a daytime um, kind of energy as well. You know, downtown is kind of missing some of that. It really feels empty a lot at night. Not always. I mean, if there's a big Proctor's show, it can Mm -hmm. fill up and feel a bit more exciting. And then I also think it doesn't offer what you might consider a great pedestrian experience. I think there's a lot of examples of really nice kind of urban downtowns in cities that really aren't that big, like Burlington, Vermont, where it's enjoyable to walk around and window shop and look at people and maybe there's some parks or public spaces that are kind of fun to to sit in and just relax and you know to me Schenectady doesn't quite Mm -hmm. have that it feels sort of like this square around Proctor's and kind of the shops on the other side of the street and the restaurants there and you know I think especially in the evenings people probably aren't as comfortable you know, walking around. But even in the daytime, if I was going to pick a place where I might want to just go for a stroll, you know, that really wouldn't wouldn't be, be it yeah, for yeah. the most part. Well, that's what I've heard from people who complain about downtown Schenectady. And again, it's a lot better than it was. I have to say that again. Right. I mean, that's, I mean, that's definitely true. Nobody's disputing yeah. that. But is that they want more retail, but somehow I don't think that's happening or going to happen. But what do you think? I mean, that's what I heard from readers. I mean, that was the big, I mean, there were other things, but people really wanted retail. And so, I mean, I think it's an interesting question what that, you know, is that possible and what could it actually look like? I mean, I kind of think the days of like a big department store to anchor your downtown, by and large, they're mostly over. But, I mean, is there a way to do more with trying to cultivate smaller businesses, more eclectic shops and of course then you go back to the people issue are there enough people to sustain Mm -hmm. those shops so the two sort of have to go together the retail is not going to 
not going to come if people feel like it's you know their business is going to is going to fail. But that's what people said they wanted was mm-hmm. was retail. So we well, you know what I think is ideal there is the bookstore. The open door bookstore does a lot of stuff. You know they bring in their own crowd, if you will, because they have authors. They do events. Yeah. yeah. But it's hard to maybe replicate that if you were selling uh, women's or men's fashions or something. I suppose. Right. I mean, how to? I mean, but it, that's. I mean, you mentioned the open door, and it's like a lot of downtowns in this day and age. They don't have a bookstore. I mean, you know, Schenectady does. So, you know, what can we do to complement that business or bring in more businesses that you know have that same type of, you know, energy? You know, I mean, it's like I'm sure there are people thinking of the on these questions. So, I mean, nobody's saying it's easy, but that seemed to be one of the big missing pieces for a lot of our readers. And, and just one other point: uh, one of your colleagues at the Gazette did a story about all the restaurants in downtown Schenectady, and you know, people who you know think maybe the, of the glass half full as opposed to um, half empty, or well, whatever they think. But are there too many? I mean, is that they they seem to be opening up quite a lot. Right. I mean, I think some people think, yeah, there's too many restaurants. We can't all compete and stay in business with the um, the pool of customers that we have. You know, others, I think, felt less negative about it. But everyone, there was widespread agreement, again, that we need more people downtown on a more consistent basis to support the restaurants. And that w- that's kind of the key ingredient to having a thriving restaurant Seen. So I think, you know, your perspective probably depends on how your restaurant is doing to some extent. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think, you know, some growth pains, growing pains, I think are probably normal. And we might be seeing some of that, that there's just, um, you know, there was this notion, go to Schenectady and open a restaurant. It's great. It's where things are happening. And I think, you know, when you get there for some of these restaurants, it's a little more challenging uh, than than that you know it's mm-hmm. not as simple as just opening a nice restaurant and everybody comes in every day of the week and it's a huge hit you know it it, it takes more than that and it's it's a challenge uh, let's uh, do an albany uh, story closing time albany county executive uh, dan mccoy is proposing that bars close at two in the morning not four in the morning do you think he's got a good idea there yeah i do think he has an idea that um you know, Albany County and, and probably some other counties should should consider. You know, it's one of those topics where you feel almost hypocritical because when you were younger, you went out to bars late and appreciated ones mm-hmm. that, are, you know, were open past, you know, right. sort of a 2 a.m. closing time. But, you know, as you get a bit older and you look at sort of, you know, when some of these violent incidents and fights occur, you know, a lot of times it really is in those, I would say it's after 12.30 a.m., but, you know, you begin to see more trouble the later, you know, a bar is open, especially if it's a late-night bar that kind of caters to a crowd that's been drinking and wants to keep drinking after all the um, mm-hmm. the bars are closed. I mean, we had a story about the Union Inn in Schenectady, which is under investigation by the State Liquor Authority for having two two stabbings, and both of those occurred, you know, in fairly early morning hours um, where I think you can make the argument that, you know, the bar isn't adding much that's positive to the fabric of the community. Mm -hmm. You know, it seems like there's a lot of trouble if you're having two stabbings in a short period of time. And that that was near that bar, right? Or was it actually in it? They were both in it, yeah. One might have been on the sidewalk around the corner Mm -hmm. and 
people who had left there fairly recently. And the closing time argument's also been raised in Saratoga Springs, where uh, the entertainment industry, or whatever you want to call it up there, is, I would say, probably even a stronger lobby than it is in other communities. Yeah, I think it is, because I think in a lot of these communities, there actually aren't that many bars that do stay open till 4 a.m. You know, a lot of them do actually close a bit earlier. And so in Saratoga, I think you have a greater number that might stay open late and that, you know, cater to that kind of bar hopping late night, you know, crowd. So, you know, they have managed to kind of beat that beat that back. Mm -hmm. Now, people are offended that we're talking about booze. Let's change the topic and ask you about chocolate milk. Why is the New York City school system considering a ban on chocolate milk, and how will that affect upstate dairy farms? Right. Well, you know, there's sort of the sense that, you know, chocolate milk, it's not good for kids. We don't want them drinking it. Let's ban it in our schools. The dairy farmers upstate find this concerning because they feel, you know, if children don't have this option, they're going to drink less milk. It's better to them to have chocolate milk than no milk at all. And ultimately, it's just another thing that will hurt dairy farms, which have, as you know, been been struggling quite a, quite a bit. So they're very concerned that New York City, even though it's not really anywhere near us, will make this decision that they feel is misguided and, you know, economically ruinous. Hmm. Uh, there was a, another story about GE in recent weeks about the GE pension freeze, as it's called. GE will no longer be uh, increasing employee pensions uh, starting uh, next year. What do you think this is a sign of? I mean, to me, I think it's just a sign that, you know, a lot of businesses have gone in this direction of freezing their pensions, enrolling newer employees in uh, 401ks, uh, and I think, you know, the pension is, is dying out in the private sector, at least, and, you know, this is, GE, you know, is embracing this trend, and I think, you know, if you thought one of the things that really distinguished GE was, you know, the great benefits that they offered their employees really as they retool as a company they've they've moved away from that i would say they're no longer really the envy of you know the private mm-hmm. sector in mm-hmm. that in that regard they're becoming just like other businesses that have made that same decision so this is where the trends are going but do i i think it's still a little un you know unfair really to the ge um employees who were expecting to have this option. And apparently some of the big shots at GE will continue to get more money or something like that when they retire? You mean just like they'll be able to cash out larger or get like a golden... No, I I thought that the, um, some, the top echelon somehow was not doing that badly, uh, even though they're freezing the pensions for the employees. Right. Well, they're certainly not doing that badly. I mean, their new CEO is, uh, I can't remember the figure, but they're still paying him like, you know, an enormous amount, kind of some of those eye-popping CEO Mm -hmm. figures that we've grown accustomed to. I think, you know, maybe there's a bit of debate with all the problems GE has had. Should they also move away from that kind of you know, you're slashing employee mm-hmm. benefits, but your CEO is treated like a king with, you know, a $30 million salary plus the option to 
get even more if he hits certain benchmarks. I mean, you know, that's sort of a lot of people come down differently. Some people think, you know, these guys are worth it. If he does what he's supposed to do for GE, then the money will be money well spent. But I think it generally plays poorly when you compare kind of the uh, austere approach, you know, that the company is taking to their employees and their benefits. Sarah Foss with us, news columnist for the Daily Gazette. A recent column you did about what they call the shot spotter. The Schenectady police are expected to deploy a high-tech crime-fighting system called Shot Spotter. What, what, what is that? It's um, a system of acoustic sensors, what you and I would probably call microphones, that you <laughs> okay. set up right. Yeah, you set up around um, a community where to listen, and it basically listens all the time. And then when it hears, you know, what would be a gunshot, it detects it and transmits this data to the shot spotter staff which is monitoring these sensors in California and they like immediately deploy you know police or they contact the police who can immediately respond to the gunshot you know that's what it's supposed to do and how it's supposed to to work so the idea is that you don't always get calls on gunshots or gunfire right away this is a tool that's there to listen and tell you when gunshots are happening, even if you have a public that might be reluctant to call the police mm-hmm. or, you know, any number of, of factors. So so that's what it's supposed to do. And the idea is like it improves response times and perhaps can even help, you know, cut crime. Uh, down the road. So that's that's mm-hmm. kind of the rosy picture of it. But you checked with other police departments, and some have found this useful, and some have dropped it. Um, have yeah, some did, some did not find that it um, justified the cost, and there were some different reasons. I mean, one was it picks up what you would call false positives. So the system might hear a car backfiring or a fireworks, and you know, identify it as gunshots. And there was an analysis in Forbes magazine that basically when they looked at seven cities, you know, between 30 and 70% of the time, it said there were gunshots and then police went and there was nothing. So, you know, is that helpful? Is it too much money for something that's not more accurate in telling you when a gunshot has been heard? You know, I mean, some cities, yes, they they concluded that it wasn't it wasn't doing much for them. You know, it costs like six figures, and you know, maybe a really small amount of the time, it, you know, they went and there was like a shell casing or something. Mm-hmm. So, you know, other cities have been happy with it. So it's a it's a mixed picture, I would say, but you don't have to um, spend a lot of time just looking for information about it to encounter you know, a lot of kind of dissatisfied communities, including including Troy, which used it from, I think, like, 07 or 08 to 2012. Technology has probably improved, but, you know, what I saw in an interview with their chief is basically, they, you know, that his staff lost confidence in it because it sent them to wrong locations and it sent them a lot of times out chasing gunshots and then you know, they didn't find, you know, there was nothing. Mm. So, you know, they decided it just wasn't, you know, helpful. So Troy dropped it, you say? Yeah, they completely yeah. dropped it. But there are other systems too, right? Yeah, there, um, Schenectady is doing two systems to try to compare and I guess see which one is better, better. more okay. effective. So one is the shot spotter 
system, uh, which is in use in like 100 communities, I believe. And then the other is a system that I believe uh, the company Cisco has has developed. So, I mean, maybe they'll do it and one will be, you know, an awesome system and they're responding to scenes more quickly and it helps them investigate mm-hmm. these crimes and, you know, close on them. So. Okay. You've been listening to Talk of the Town on Magic 590 plus 100.5, also heard in the Glens Falls Lake George region on 1410 AM 96.9 FM. Our guest was Sarah Foss, news columnist for the Daily Gazette newspaper. This program is available as a podcast on albanymagic.com and bobcudmore.com. I'm Bob Cudmore.